0: Sophie, have you updated your headphones, your headset? I
1: have. Are you noticing my very fancy new Apple? I use like um, my company gives us like a work from home budget and you every two years you get a certain amount of money to spend and I didn't realize that I had like basically never used mine and it was about to run out. So I splurged on these headphones and um, actually I would say it's a mixed bag. I think there's a software issue with these headphones and the M1 laptop Um, anyway. It's not, the sound is a little muddied, I think. Yeah, but they're very beautiful and pink, so I'm not complaining, I'm still happy with them. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to Beam Radio. Hello and welcome to this episode of Beam Radio. I am Sophie De Benedetto, and I am joined today by one of our fabulous co-hosts, Lars Vikman. Hey, Lars. Sienna, <laughs> Sienna. Wait, what?
0: <laughs> Swedish or hello.
1: Oh, nice. That was nice. Colloquial. Um,
0: Hello, I guess.
1: like Kind of like a hey or something? Yeah, it's a... What's up?
0: It's a hey-hey. Hey-hey.
1: Got it. Cool. I learned something new, as did our listeners. Uh, And welcome to those listeners. Welcome to our final episode, I think, that we'll be recording in 2022. So that's kind of cool. Another year of beam radio down. Uh, We have got a... Very exciting guest for you guys today that I'm looking forward to introducing. And uh, you know what? I think I'm just going to skip ahead to that now. So I am very pleased to introduce Flora Peterson, who is joining us, calling in from New Orleans. Hey, Flora. Hello. I'm really happy that Flora is here. Um, I've met Flora at a couple of different Elixir and sort of Beam programming conferences at this point. I think we first met Flora when you took my Live View training in... Mm, where were we were we in salt lake city is that a place that we've been cool um and it was great to meet you there that would have been at mpax and then i ran into you again at codebeam america most recently i had the absolute privilege of introducing you to give a talk there and i think that may have been your first uh elixir programming conference talk so congratulations on that and um, we want to get into all of that we want to hear about the talk we want to hear about What you've been working on and why, but one of the things that we love to tee up for our guests when they first come on the show is just an opportunity to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what brought you into Elixir Programming and the Beam community. Sure.
2: Um, Yeah, so I am Flora. I'm from New Orleans. Uh, I live here with my kids and my husband, and I have been working on websites for a long time, but not as a software engineer. Um, I started out uh, really more working, working in marketing. Um, I mean, I think I learned Macromini, Drevweimer and stuff way back in the day, but that was not the focus of my work. Uh, and So earlier this year, I was, I attended the Big Elixir, I um, was working for an agency and just was learning more about the industry as a, just from marketing perspective, but the talks were really uh, engaging and awesome. Sophie, you did a great talk. And I was really inspired, and I wanted to learn more about kind of what the presentations were, and so um, that was kind of it. so. After that, I worked through uh, the Ryan Biggs book, The Joy of Elixir, which I really recommend to anyone. It's an introduction to programming and also Elixir. And once I learned that Elixir was a functional programming language, which meant literally functions, I felt much more comfortable about it because I have kind of a math background. Um, and so from then I kind of just kept exploring.
0: And I have to say, this is probably one of the best titles for sort of drawing attention with a talk I've seen in ages. It's not like super, super techie. We're gonna, we're gonna do distributed systems or anything, but it's just an attention grabber build animatronics with nerves. Yeah. Just having puppeteer in your title. (laughs) Oh, that's that's some pro level uh, attention grabbing right there. <laughs>
2: Thanks. Well, my mom is a puppeteer, and I started doing this when I was four. So it's just something I was born into. When I attended MPEX um, to learn more about Elixir and take Sophie's training, uh, I also had met John Carstens, who was so supportive, and he introduced me to his boss. I knew who his boss was. And so I chatted with him. And of course, for uh, John's boss is Frank Hunleth, who is a co-creator of Nerves, And I'd already pitched this idea about building animatronics to them before I knew who Frank was. And then when I got back to New Orleans, I was telling this story to an Elixir developer. And he was like, wait, where are these guys? They work at Smart Run? I'm like, Florida? do you know who you were talking to? And I'm glad I didn't, because I think I would have been really <laughs> intimidated. Um, but now, but then after that, I was like, well, if these guys think it could be fun and I might be able to do it, then um, maybe I'll try it. And so then I emailed Codebeam, trying to give myself a deadline. And also because embedded hobbies are kind of expensive. So I felt better working on this project um, if, I w- if it was for a conference. And that was kind of how I got started to do it.
0: That's fantastic that you were pitching... Uh... Hardware and Elixir project to Frank. <laughs> well, <laughs> it was knowing like, that he's no, yeah. <laughs> the most supportive and most excitable, uh, friendliest person and the creator of Nerves. Yes.
2: Yeah. So. so he's just been so great. And he would, he messaged me a couple tips like, hey, you know, make sure you're controlling motors this way because Raspberry Pis aren't great at that, or my Nerves Live book. And so, because I knew that you know he and John, uh, I could message them for help. I guess I felt more comfortable just kind of trying it and seeing seeing where this went.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things that I just so love uh, and appreciate about the Elixir community—just how generous everybody is with their time and their support um and I'm just not at all surprised to hear that that was the experience that you had that you went from like random conversation in the hallway track at a conference to getting the support of the creator of Nerves to embark on this project.
2: Yeah yeah he's been really
1: um yeah it's been really fun. <laughs> so what was it like to start to learn Nerves when you were still I don't know if you were still new to Elixir or felt like you were still new to the Elixir at the time still in this self hot kind of space. I, I've done very little with embedded in nerves. I'm kind of intimidated to get started and like I'm really inspired by what you've been able to build. So I want to hear a little bit more about what that the beginnings of that journey were like.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, you know, I even though I was, you know, definitely I still feel very new to Elixir, I wasn't new to coding. Like I I was you know, I've worked on many under-resourced web projects where I would have to kind of just get in there and mess with JavaScript or CSS or PHP or WYSIWYG or something to make it work because uh, we didn't have the resources uh, to have a full engineer do it. So I think I already had that mentality of like, I'll just make this work however I can. Because the great thing about hobby projects is that it's so low stakes, right? You know, If it doesn't work, like whatever, <laughs> I'll just do it a different way. So I think that helped.
0: I'm quite curious if your mother does any programming with regards to the puppeteering or is that sort of the old school analog (laughs) strictly?
2: Yeah, no, definitely not. I think you're asking for advice before. Um, When I was in college, I had a a mentor who um, would talk in education about this idea of the zone of proximal development and just that it's easier to learn new things um, if you're doing something you know really well in a new context. So I kind of just approached this as if um, Elixir was just another way to control a puppet. So instead of using, you know, strings or rods or hands, I was just using wires and code. And so that kind of helped me. So I would see things, so like, for example, the the classic Hello World project for nerves or for any embedded system is like blinking an LED, right? So I'm like, okay, well, how would I view that from the per- perspective of a puppeteer? Uh, Chado puppetry, right? You can do a lot of really great things if all you're doing is uh, flashing different colored lights at the same time. So I think that was one of the projects I I did a simple thing for in the talk is just, I put different frames over LEDs with shapes in them, and then you can flash them in different ways and make patterns, tell a story. So that's kind of... what I did, I, I tried to, so then if I started to feel really overwhelmed by like, how do I do, make this code work or why isn't my circuit working? I could always say, well, what can I make it do? And then just use that to build um, a cool puppet thing.
0: Yeah, I think that's a fantastic approach to learning. And I, I recognize that I tend to do something similar. It's like, oh, I'm picking up new tech. I'm gonna do something I've done before mostly at least. So I know I have my sea legs with regards to what I'm trying to achieve. I'm going to make this particular tech do it and maybe use some of the fancy bits of this tech to to make make it special. Or if I'm doing something entirely new, I probably want to lean on tech I already know.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And also... There is, you know, puppetry is a rich tradition for thousands of years and it includes you know, it does include like automatons, right? So there is a history if you go back and learn about, you know, different crankies and kind of earlier uh, tack of what people used to do. It's a fun way to, and I mean, you're based in Europe. So I imagine, you know, a lot more about puppetry than a lot of Americans do. Um, So, you know, between toy theater and there's just so many cool things you can do um, that if you add a little bit of animation and electronics to it, um, becomes really fun so it felt it didn't feel like I was doing something new it just felt like I was extending a tradition that's happened for a very long time in small ways
0: that's very cool now I feel like I'm doing European slightly wrong because I don't think I have a lot of experience <laughs> with puppetry <unfortunately. laughs>
2: um. I don't know um, yeah, that was I. I'm, I've, I traveled a fair bit when I was a kid performing, and I was just always very impressed with a lot of the places in the world where puppetry has been going on for a long time, like Prague. You know, places where puppetry has been around forever uh, is just a really cool thing. Um,
0: that, that makes isn't... me think of the fancy clock in Prague, which oh, I really? guess is sort of puppetry-ish or animatronic-ish. Like the, What's this, the fancy this... clock? it's a super fancy mechanical clock in the old town of prague. Uh, lots of stuff goes on with that clock as as time passes from what i understand. i've only looked at it briefly when when passing through but but yeah prague definitely seems like one of those places. sweden yeah. i don't think not so much. Well, maybe we have a ton of puppetry that i haven't heard about.
2: yeah i don't i don't know.
1: um um, Let's well, your homework, Lars. Is to go out and learn about the historical tradition of puppetry in your country and report back for the next episode.
0: Yeah, I think the only puppets I've run into has been sort of Renfair kind of puppet shows, and those are usually more targeted at the kids and very, very sort of basic. But yeah, you know, they have their charm for sure.
1: It's yeah. I just think it's so cool that like for you, the zone of proximal learning is puppets. Um, it just seems like yeah, there's a lot of just kind of fun, cool stuff. I've like, I've always loved history and uh, that kind of thing. So I feel like um, it's a cool space to be operating in. But what you said about that zone definitely resonates with me. It's something that I feel like I've used myself in different ways. Um, Generally, like if I'm learning a brand new language for the first time, I tend to rebuild the same CLI app over and over again, kind of dating back to when I was first learning to code for the first time, learning Ruby, one of the first things I built was a CLI app that, Um, it was kind of just like a joke that I built. It was called Weather for Noah. And the point of it was to help my friend Noah who never dresses appropriately for the weather. And it would basically like make an API call, get some weather data and uh, you know, tell my friend if he should wear a jacket or not. And it's just a very simple concept. And then I used it again when I was learning, um, I think when I was building a web app for the first time, I kind of used that same concept. Like I'm gonna take this CLI app and translate it into like a web interface. And then when I was learning Elixir for the first time, I built another CLI app in Elixir that did the same thing. And I feel like I've used the um, chat application domain a lot when trying to learn about real-time web functionality. So when, uh, what was it called originally? Action Cable, if you guys recall Rails' was early WebSocket framework, I built a chat app, chat app and then I thought, well, now I'm learning React, I'm gonna build a chat app. Well, now I'm learning Phoenix Channels, I'm gonna build a chat app. Now I'm learning live view and so on and so forth. So um, I was not familiar with this concept zone of proximal learning, but it definitely resonates. And it's something that I've I've done myself because I think, yeah, you're absolutely right that when you're trying to learn something new, focus on learning that new technology and solve a problem that you've already solved that you're familiar with. And if you're trying to solve a new problem, like maybe use a technology that you're already familiar with. I think it's a great piece of advice and kind of framing mechanism for folks out there that are trying to to learn something new or get into embedded systems for the first time
2: yeah yeah I I, I um that reminded me that the other thing that helped about um having embedded be an entry into elixir is that I just found it people all people say this on nerves talks it's just very rewarding to do things in the real world right yeah so it's For some reason, I mean, just because I spend, you know, spend so much of my time proofreading all day or staring at a screen. So it can be really fun to just make, you know, something with googly eyes wiggle, right? It's just, it's a fun thing. And especially I'm a parent of young kids. Mm -hmm. And so then they get really excited about it. And um, just remembering that it is fun to control things in real life is very rewarding. So I, that was another reason why I wanted to work with, nerves, as opposed to just building another web app because it felt different.
1: Yeah. More tangible.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And there was a slide in the talk where I kind of gave a lot of ideas of things that people might feel comfortable in (laughs) that they would want to expand on, you know, I mean, and just fun ways people, I don't know, like I always think of the closet and clueless, you know, just, oh my gosh. Yeah, let's just make with that. Like that in your house, you know, or mm-hmm. holiday decorations. There's already NERVS projects and um hobby train control, or I think Justin did that cool motorcycle jacket that like blinked when his light, his taillights went off. There's so many fun kind of wallace and Gromit style things you could do just throughout your house. Or I mean so much of nerves is about farming, right? And mm-hmm. you know, or like FarmBot, that's open source, you can do that at home. Um, so there's just like, find the thing that you're passionate about, and then you can probably connect it to nerves and automate it and get fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool. So you talked a little bit about, um, the project you were working on with your kids and your Codebeam talk, but can you tell us a little bit more about that? And maybe also just what it's been like to try to get your young kids excited about building things with Elixir and nerves.
2: Yeah. So, um, in the talk, the talk was just kind of an overview of what puppetry was just this idea that it's just people controlling objects different ways and i when i was approaching the project i thought about uh approaching animatronic in three different ways and so one is really just using um animatronics that are controlled by humans the same way on, I don't know, Jurassic Park, for example, right? Those are really large animatronics, but they're still being controlled by people. It's just you have to use animatronics for something that's that big and that complicated. So that's kind of really just an electronic puppet, right? And then there's kind of the idea of programming something that is, you know, a machine or a robot that just does something cool all the time on a loop. And I think the example I used was, it's the small world ride at Disney World, right? You're not interacting with that. It's just always going, um, you know, or maybe you put some sensors in, you know, like Halloween decorations where you walk in the front yard Mm -hmm. and something makes a sound. So that's kind of another approach to build stuff. And then the third thing that I talked about more that I found really rewarding on a small scale was using Nerve's Live Book, which is kind of, coding, kind of like the Python, uh, uh, the Jupyter notebooks, Um, but it is a way to control nerves just like from your browser. And that was really fun for my kids because they could see, I could write a story in the notebook. And then as you, I'm not sharing the screen now, but (laughs) these stories in the notebook, and then you can see the code, you click the button to run the code and it becomes this interactive thing where you can read a story about... First, there was, uh, I don't know, the three little pigs and then the wolf blew down the house and you can read the story, click a button, and then you've created a circuit and it will make it do something. And that part of it, that seemed more fun because you can really get into the notebook and change things around. And it really reminds me more of live puppetry where you can interact with something in real time, have a response and kind of type things and see how it is. Working so that was a really, that was kind of my of the three approaches I found working with yeah. there's Live Book to be the most fun.
1: I so guess. what you're saying is Live Book itself it's a puppet. <laughs> puppet <laughs>
2: yeah, it was a puppet. It's, yeah, it's kind of like a script, you know, <laughs> kind of. Um, yeah, it's kind of a way of, of of controlling it through a script, which is which is I mean, a script
1: isn't a play. Playwright, playwright, That's yeah. the fun part. Okay, that's not what I want to with script. I was like, yeah, I guess yeah. Scripted, it executes a thing. Uh, <laughs>
0: guess where the word script came from in computers. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, um,
2: but that was fun because I just think that so many kids, and adults too, but really want to see how things work. And what's so cool about Livebook is that you can literally see the code that is running that's making this thing right. work. You have mm-hmm. your circuit built and a breadboard, you can see you know, how the the electricity is going into the battery. So that was it, you know, we're not doing a live performance, right. But that is almost a toy or just an activity that was fun because then it can immediately be like, I'm going to change out the motor or I'm going to put a different propeller and I'm going to change the story. I think that's what kids like to do naturally.
1: So Mm -hmm. that's more fun. Yeah. Take an action and see it change the world around them.
0: Yeah, without yeah. a massive deploy step or <laughs> yeah.
1: and I guess that's where it's live book kind of comes in right because it makes that feedback cycle it gets it gets rid of that sort of like deployment phase of the feedback cycle so like you're saying Flora you get to you know provide an input and then see it do something in the actual world like change the physical space around you and without live book um, it's not really possible to do that.
2: Yeah. And my understanding is that that is kind of a unique thing. The the Nerves Live Book um, is just a really cool tool for embedded. But mm-hmm. Lars, I've used your video because you have the setup video, I think, for Nerves Live
0: Book. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, the, the really short one. Uh, yeah.
2: But that's how that's all it takes to
0: set up. Yeah. One mm-hmm. minute, 36 seconds, I think. Was, uh, yeah. <laughs> getting started with Nerves Live Book.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a really phenomenal tool. And, um, yeah. Cause I didn't, I didn't, I didn't try a nerves Livebook book till after I'd been working and I was like, well, this is so much easier.
1: So I'm curious, like the, the feedback cycle part of it is a challenge, right. With working with nerves and embedded systems and live book kind of scratch at it a little bit. What were some of the other hard parts of getting into embedded systems, getting nerves off the ground for the first time or what remains hard?
2: Well, I think for my project, the hardest part was not actually the nerves part; it was the electrical engineering part because I just hadn't—I hadn't taken E and M. Like I know I took physics in college, so I had to like remember Ohm's law and stuff like that. So I think. Wait, some, what is you know,
1: Ohm's law? For those of us that did not take physics
2: and are terrible. <laughs> <laughs> we were like calculating voltage and which resistance you need in a circuit and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I, um, and, and I just, so there were definitely and Frank writes, Frank um, and Bruce have this great book about building a clock a nurse, and nerves, mm-hmm. And they, um, he has this great part in the book that says, anytime you're working with us, just do small steps and make sure everything's working. So there was definitely parts where times where I thought, that my code wasn't working, but really it was my circuit that wasn't working, and vice versa. So, I think just it was a good reminder to do things step by step, um, and just kind of pull back.
0: I can recognize that uh, I know very little about a el- sort of electrical engineering, and like the challenge of working with hardware is that you're working with hardware. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny how often, like,
1: if you ask someone what's the hardest part of, like, doing X in Elixir, their answer is usually not something related to Elixir. Like, Elixir things are never the hard part.
0: Actually, I think something that both me and other listeners would be interested in is just to get an overview of what you covered in the talk. Because you've mentioned uh, Mm -hmm. sort of playing with lights and that kind of um, puppetry. Which other, uh, sort of what projects have you tried with these, uh, with nerves and your puppetry? Sure. Yeah.
2: So, um, the, it's just a lot of different motors. I don't know, because you can't see it. My bag is behind me. So, you know, just trying to control mostly smaller, just hooking up smaller motors to do things that really puppets already do. So servos, the haptic motors, um, uh, I have some toy motors, DC and steppers. They all kind of do different things. And so it's based just the process is, I would first make sure I had a library that can control a motor. <laughs> and then once I can see what I can make the motor do, you know, like for a survey, we can usually go in three different directions, then you just kind of build something on top of it to spin. So I think I had a simple example where it was kind of, um, I would say coming from, Um, kind of a toy theater tradition, or just, um, just kind of like, almost like a doll, like a paper doll tradition, where you're just having something spin around in different ways. And that was a, (laughs) the thing was just turning a a, a caterpillar into a butterfly. So you kind of just created these three things with paper, and you spun them around. And it was a fun, simple thing to do. Um, But then, yeah, that's kind of That'd be an example of, and you could tell us a whole story that way with just a bunch of servos that are spinning things.
0: I've seen that kind of thing show up in, in sort of theater and similar where they have a backdrop that can rotate a show. Yeah. Oh, it's night now or it's day now.
2: Yeah, things like that, you know. Um, I just but... ended up
0: thinking about the Hamilton set. Have you seen the things they <laughs> yeah. do in Hamilton?
2: In the round, yeah. And they
0: have this spinning section in the middle of the floor and they use it for everything
2: (laughs) it's so cool yeah Uh, so
0: many things and suddenly it stops and that's part (laughs) of the drama and it's just continuously everything is rotating
2: yeah and i think that's kind of why um I like the live book part of it more because you know a lot of puppetry. It's still I, I think it's more fun with humans, but you know I mean I'm not going to probably create something that's as responsive as the human hand for um, you know doing puppet doing hand puppet shows. So that's why to make it more interesting, I like making the Nerves live book part of the experience because that's what that's what you don't get. Like you don't get the control of audience feedback as much when you are doing a puppet show but if there is a way that an audience can really like do things that make something happen on stage um that is fun um i don't feel like i'm being that specific but i can give more examples <laughs> um
0: but yeah, yeah i'm very curious to hear more more sort of things <laughs> you've tried with all those all those motors
2: yeah um some of them have worked more than others. I mean, you know, I can you can put strings onto a spinning motor um, to kind of like I can't really, at least they can't see on the video anyway. Um, uh, to make a gear, so you can uh, spin things to go up and down, which is a fun thing to do. You can hook it up to a motion sensor, uh, which is fun. So then, when the trigger comes in, you can you know, if someone opens the door, that's something I'm working on right now, just to make my husband laugh, <laughs> So, when the, like a door opens, then uh, if, uh, this um, dinosaur makes a sound and moves. Um, that's a pretty simple thing to set up. But it's really just, you know, whatever, anything that's lightweight enough that the that's mo- not going to break the motor, um, you can set up to do I haven't built a full show on it, mostly just because of time constraints (laughs) but (laughs) um but it's but it's more just been using puppetry techniques that I know around the house to just build funny things that um you know make us laugh I guess
0: (laughs) yeah and what you're saying about sort of it's it's hard to match humans for sort of expressiveness and uh and just I think coding an entire show and building an entire show that's entirely automated is not necessarily the best end goal. Like I've seen fantastic things that people have built where they use the tech to enhance an animatronic that they're wearing, for example, Whereas, yeah. like you see this a lot with uh, furries, for example, they build these massive fur suits and, they want them to be expressive when they talk. So it's like mouth moves based off of your mouth movement, but they need extra extra motors to drive it, uh, eyes move, that kind of thing.
2: Absolutely, yeah. And I forgot someone messaged me after my talk saying they were going to try and build some cosplay stuff with nerves, which I'm so excited to hear about. Yeah. But But yeah, for sure. I think that I am not interested in building... A show that someone sits down and watches that's fully animatronic with nerves. That's I don't know if anyone went to Chuck E. Cheese in the 90s, but I feel like there was a moment mm-hmm. in America where there were animatronics at restaurants, which is really cool, um, expensive. Uh, I but I do think it, it it'd be fun to have an art installation where you walk through and there's lots of things that are interactive that happen when you when um you and then people have done that, right? That part I think is fun. Um, and there, and there, I think there'd be more interesting ways to really make that less predictable, right? So it's not like every time you walk through a space, the same thing happens. You can randomize it. You can do cool things. That would be, I think, really a fun, more interesting project for me to build than just, you know, a show that instead of humans, um, puppets. Because that's even at theme parks, they don't really do that. <laughs> you know, I mean, a lot. At the, some of them do, but you know a lot of the a lot of the there there are a lot of projects at theme parks where there are still are puppeteers controlling something like you just don't see them controlling animatronics because you got to have the human element and or it's not as fun,
1: yeah.
0: and I can definitely see livebook being a pretty good way of sort of managing your script in those kinds of situations. You might want to build build UI for it depending on how complicated you get. Right. But
2: you yeah, know. yeah. And you know, and and I know that Frank has, you know, tutorials about th- there's a lot of uh, uses for a live book besides this, <laughs> you know, that, that I know it's really good no, for No no,
0: <laughs> it's primarily built for puppetry, I'm sure. <laughs> Correct. That's what I've heard, at least. Yeah,
2: <laughs> just want to prove that you know. I I is it for sensors. It's it's really great for industrial uses too, um, but it just so happens that it's it's a really um, great tool for creativity um, because it's just so much faster to prototype things through it. Uh, at least it has been for me, and it's just an enjoy- enjoyable thing
0: to use. That resonates with my experience as well. Of LiveBook, Nurse LiveBook, yeah. both uh, both. So I haven't spent that much time with Nerve's Livebook because I haven't had uh, had a particular reason to uh, recently. But uh, I've definitely spent some time with Livebook recently. And uh, some of what you're saying about building sort of interactive things, and it resonates with sort of how I think about making just interesting small hobby projects with Elixir, it's always about figuring out an interesting way of getting some input and an interesting way of producing some output. And sometimes that's... So I did a talk a while back at ElixirConf Africa about chatbots for input. Because if you make a telegram ball, you can send pictures in, you can send text in, you can send audio in very easily. And it's really easy to pick that up in Elixir Then do something with it, and then produce something with it. Same with sort of I've set up nerves, uh, small nerves sort of keyboard to previously control the lighting in my office. I have some buttons. I have some lights that I can control. Okay, inputs, outputs, and an interesting result. That's, That's sort of what you need. And then I think puppetry in your case is a very interesting output. Uh, partially because it might not ever be the most practical output but it's certainly one of the most interesting (laughs) outputs
2: yeah no that that makes sense and I think what is cool about the live book part of it is for puppetry is that it adds this kind of third yeah I don't know this third way of interacting so you have you know you're seeing the puppet. And I guess fourth way, and there's, and there is an audience and there is the puppeteer. And then you also have this thing, which is the story. It's kind of a way of visualizing the story. So, you know, especially if you had a display or something, like you said, that people could interact with or people could look at, it's just another fun way to see what's going on. It's a cool way of making something that normally you wouldn't see visible.
0: Now, I also have small kids. Do you have any recommendations for sort of beginning, beginner level puppetry uh, that you should, that one should try with small kids?
2: I think that little kids love sock puppets. (laughs) Sock puppets are always good because you usually always have socks in your house. Um, You know, any sort of uh, rod paper puppets where you're just cutting something out, and glueing on a popsicle stick is fun. I like to do glove puppets where you get inexpensive gloves and then you put, you make a face on each finger. And so that way you can tell a story with five characters and make them go up and down and talk like this is more stuff for little kids. I think that for older kids, it can be, um, anything that has an element of surprise to it, you know, it's like remember when I, we were kids, we, for Halloween, we made these eyes that were on the front door that had uh, strings attached to them. So you could pull them through the back of the door. So it was kind of a, it was kind of the same thing where if someone would come to the door, we would pull on them and so that the people on the front steps would be surprised to open and close the eyes, things like that, I think can be fun. I think everyone likes building, giant puppets I don't know that's something everyone has the space for but if you have I mean I'm in New Orleans so we have Mardi Gras but <laughs> even if you are for Halloween you want to build um you know a frame on a bicycle that can be a really fun way I don't know that's all or just get a sheet and um do some you know shadow puppets with your hands with a flashlight it can be fun so lots of lots of ways I guess
0: <laughs> yeah. those are some great ones
2: but, you know, also it can just be making your food talk at, well, I guess it's on a- <laughs> Yeah, it's crazy. a puppet. Yeah, and you can do a Everything's
1: a puppet, that's the takeaway. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> that was my experience.
1: Um, do you have any projects in the works? Anything that you're maybe excited to try out in like the new year?
2: Yeah, so what I'm really excited about is I have this huge Google Doc with lots of my projects and then I'm trying to put them into some sort of blog (laughs) so I can share them with other people. And so I'm editing those. Um, I'm excited about that. And then, um, yeah, I mean, you know, Mardi Gras is coming up. And so I imagine we'll build, I'll build something for that. But I'm still deciding with my kids um, what it will be. And that'll be more challenging because it'll need to be outside and adorable. Um, but I think it could be fun. It's my kids are obsessed with Pokemon. So whatever it is will probably just be a Pokemon.
1: Thing. Something Pokemon. Got it.
2: Something Pokemon, Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, I would certainly love to see you write more about this stuff uh, and start blogging and I'll remind you that i don't know if you've checked out the elixir school website at all which is like the free online elixir curriculum elixir school has a blog i'm always looking for a blog post there you can submit blog posts just on the github repo i'd be happy to see more content being written about nerves more content from you specifically so let me know if that's something you're interested in doing
2: yeah i think that it, i really related to what you said earlier sophie about how mm-hmm. The hardest thing of the Elixir pro this project was not the Elixir, because that really mm-hmm. was how it felt to me. You know, yeah. like once I, I was really intimidated once I actually got into it, there's so much documentation, there's so much support. Um, it was like the hard part was deciding what I wanted to do and not necessarily doing it in Elixir. So I think it could mm-hmm. be fun to maybe explain that so that other people could get over the hump of this is really scary to actually this is, you know, pretty um doable.
1: Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, it would be fantastic to see to see some publishing on this uh, this mm-hmm. whole topic because, for one thing, practical nerves examples that people can try, uh, that's always always a good thing to have. I'm sure the like, if you have uh, a puppetry blog post ready to go, uh, I think it could go on the nerves website, or if you mm-hmm. have your own website, totally. Uh, and then you just put a you put this little. Uh, request for motors at the end and we, <laughs> we should see if we can crowdsource some Yeah, a better idea. and better motors just mm-hmm. drowning in them
2: yeah well and then someone asked a question in the presentation about safety and motors and voltage mm-hmm. and so i probably will need to talk to like a real engineer to make sure that uh, things are being safe but yeah. <laughs> but so far it's just been you know small volta- small voltages and it's you know yeah. Again, like taking what I actually know how to do and just making the coolest thing I can with that level of knowledge, and then as I learn more, maybe making cooler things has been the Mm -hmm. approach.
0: I think that's the smart way to do it. The other option is going way out of your depth and way out of budget, (laughs) (laughs) and then having lots of regrets.
2: Yeah, definitely. There is there is a couple weeks there. My husband was like, "More packages, (laughs) stop."
0: (laughs) You see, they don't ju- just don't understand it's like you order this thing and then it turns out you need this thing for this thing to work and then like, this one's really the better one that you probably should have gotten from the start it's complicated yeah, you have right. to yeah that's hardware. exactly
2: yeah that's exactly the sort of thing I would love to share with other people so they don't go through the the, the stress of buying the wrong thing or this one was pre-soldered you could have gotten that one and save so much time you know all the stuff that happens um, But also it's just part of the fun. So yeah. you know, it's been cool to have kind of a creative hobby that's also technical, I guess.
0: So is there anything people should be looking for? Like, do you post on Twitter or Mastodon or do you have a website that people should keep eyes on?
2: Um, I am, this. yeah, I am on Twitter and I have, and I I will, I'll be putting up a website. <laughs> so I will, I will now, put <laughs> Twitter. I bought a domain. Um, but, but yeah, I don't know. I guess I think probably because I grew up, uh, as a puppeteer, I just do a lot of things on paper. So that is a, a goal of mine for 2023 is to share more online and not live so much in the analog world.
1: Cool. Well, we'll definitely have to keep an eye out for that and send people your way as you start writing more and blogging more and as you continue to build very cool things with puppets and nerves
0: like in your notes here you mentioned model trains and motorcycles it's like whoa (laughs) yeah (laughs)
1: that's that's kind of like
2: in my document I, I was I was assembling a whole list of all my favorite nerves examples and so some of those are things people have already built with nerves um it seemed like there's a joke that people always use nerves to like build a garden or something. And there's a lot of really cool, <laughs> you know, uh, which is funny, because I think a lot of the, the, the examples I saw first were for things like controlling security cameras, you know, and then I kind of got into it more. And there were just a lot of people doing fun, passion projects with it, Um which I thought was really cool.
0: Yeah. That's actually an interesting bit about nerves where it's usually easier to find sort of hobby level projects and uh, fun side project kind of information than it is to find how to use it in industrial settings and sort of do do the serious thing with it because people that do the serious thing are not necessarily publishing all their serious bits. <laughs>
2: yeah yeah that kind of using it in production thing but i think it it does seem like sometimes maybe the way into getting into production is by starting with a hobby project maybe like if you're interested in something and then you'll be like no (laughs) maybe this could other people be interested
0: yeah that describes my whole career so that checks out
2: (laughs) so but i know you know I know Nerf is capable, obviously, of running like a ton of puppets at the same time, but just doesn't mean I necessarily want to build them, <laughs> but it could do it. It's definitely capable.
0: I might have just ordered a whole pile of mango pies, actually. So maybe that's uh, oh, set up a cluster and uh, <laughs> make them dance. <laughs> I don't know.
2: Um, yeah, no, I would. I would I'm have... hoping to
0: run some workshops, um, or more or less, but doing some meetups well, locally. Uh, so th- I wanted some hardware, uh, but I all I've already experimented a fair bit with connecting multiple nerves devices on a local network. Uh, yeah. with Erlang distribution and making them become a cluster essentially. So it's not really that difficult to coordinate uh, multiple devices. Uh, Especially, like, if you have a Wi-Fi network, you know, the, the annoying bits are done.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for real. It's, it's um yeah, that part is, that would be really, really fun, you know. But I know, I mean, I know, like, John Karsten's told me that one of his first projects it was uh, just controlling his desk, his stand-up desk with his computer, with nerves, you know. And I think sometimes it's just mm-hmm. you take one project and then it kind of goes into, you know, working on more industrial scale.
1: Okay, so on that note, I think we'll wrap up our final episode of 2022. It was an honor to have you on this episode floor. It was so great to see you again. Thank you so much for joining us and telling us all about your work with nerves, with puppets. Um, we'll make sure to tweet out your code Beam talk once it comes out within the next couple of weeks or so. And yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much, y'all. This was so fun. Yeah, we'll definitely have to do this again. And uh, before we wrap up, I will just say a big thank you to our sponsor, Groxio, which our listeners know is career fuel for programmers. Definitely check them out in the new year to level up on some of your elixir skills and beyond. Thank you, Lars, for joining me. Thank you to our listeners for such a fantastic year. And we can't wait to keep hanging out together, talking about beam things in 2023.